Hi, I'm Tina Desiree Burke, and welcome to the 34th. AB 840 was approved by the California State Assembly on September 15, 2017. It is now sitting on Governor Brown's desk. If he signs this into law, it will be a step backwards for election integrity. On August 24th, the authors of AB 840 added a deadly amendment. Section 15360 states, A public manual tally of the ballots canvassed in the semi-final official canvas, including vote-by-mail ballots but not including provisional ballots, cast in 1% of the precincts chosen at random by the elections officials. What does this mean? In California, paper ballots are computer scanned. The computer count is then checked by a mandatory hand count of ballots from a randomly chosen 1% of precincts. This is what's known as our 1% audit law, and it is used to deter fraud in the state. What changes if this amendment goes through is that it exempts late-arriving mail ballots from audit, and also for the first time, it legally exempts all provisional ballots from audit as well. So why does this matter? Well, it matters because the state of California takes in a lot of late voter-by-mail ballots. They can be either hand-delivered by voters at the polling site on Election Day, or they're just simply mailed late. They are a huge part of our election results, and they should not be exempt from an audit. Another example occurs if somebody that is registered as a vote-by-mail shows up to the poll to vote without their ballot. If they have nothing to surrender at the polling site, they will automatically be given a provisional. For this reason, the number of provisional votes has exploded in the state of California. And to exclude these provisional votes from our audit would, again, skew the results. So just how many ballots are we actually talking about here? Well, if we look back at the November 2016 primary, we had 4 million mail and provisional ballots that would be left out of the audit. And that is a considerable number. So what is the ultimate motivation for doing this? Clearly, the optics are bad. Well, in order to answer that question, let's look at who supports the bill. Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez-Fletcher from San Diego is a co-author of the bill. The bill is additionally supported by the California Association of Clerks and Election Officials, as well as our Secretary of State, Alex Padilla. According to these folks, the worry is that there is a high risk of counties not being able to certify their elections within the 30-day statutory time frame. And they feel that the risk is exasperated by the dramatic increase in voters wishing to vote by bail. Yet, is that the case? Voters are already suspicious of our election process. Citizens Oversight, a nonpartisan watchdog group, thinks they might have a solution. They are recommending that our elections officials simply upgrade their equipment. The new election equipment shoots an image of every ballot and makes those images available for review by the public. This approach allows anyone to perform a virtual hand count via the images. This is what we should be doing. Today, we're very excited to have Janine Roan as our guest. She is a successful line producer. She um, is with the Directors Guild, and she's also an ADEM for District 34 here in California. Welcome, Janine. Hey. I'm excited to be on. I wanted to talk a little bit about what's going on here locally in District 34. Um, we recently had 
a few months back, delegate caucuses. We pretty much sweeped the delegate caucuses with Sanders folks. How would, how would you say you were successful about going about that? Did you guys organize in advance? Um, we had Dr. Zogby on last week, and he was discussing that the way we actually change the party is through local elections and doing things like this. So I would love to hear how you guys organize to get that done, because I think other folks are interested in doing that in their local areas as well. Right. Well, um, I, you know, there was a little bit of organization. There's a, there's a progressive Democrat uh, club here called East Area Progressive Democrats. They put together a slate of people. Jimmy Gomez put together another slate of people. East Area Progressive Democrats, uh, a majority of the people on that slate won. I was not on any slate. And there was another guy who was not on any other slate, too. And we just, I don't know, you know, we just kind of worked the crowd that showed up on that day. First of all, in this district, we had, I think, almost 900 people show up to our ADEM election. So we were at a um, right. a gym, you know, off of Huntington Park. This, this whole area goes through, you know, uh, Lincoln Heights, you know, uh, Eagle Rock. Uh, down to Glasgow Park, and then over even a little bit of Chinatown into East L.A. So um, this gym, it had filled with people. They went down the hall, down the, down the stairs, and out onto the street and around the block to try to come in and vote for our ADEM election. This area uh, flipped for Bernie Sanders, so everybody was pretty tapped into the, the upcoming ADEM election, and so we had a big turnout. Um, so there were slates. Um, I, uh, like I said, I wasn't on one. Um, I walked the line and there were a few of us that walked the line and tried to talk to every single voter coming through or a group of voters at a time. And basically what, what, you know, um, I also, we had a little bit of a handout and I think that one of the things that helped was in my little handout, I I also mentioned all the other people running from the two different slates that I felt were Bernie people. Um, because I wasn't on a slate, I could just go ahead and put whatever I wanted on my handout, you know. And so I kind of rattled off all the right. all the folks that I thought were Bernie people. And, and I think that uh, that got a good response. And then also Steve Stokes, who ran for the Senate here, right. um, he showed up. And when he saw everyone run, you know, the different people running, he went ahead and did a tweet kind of the same thing, saying, you know, these are the people that I know that are running that are Bernie people. So yeah. um, as I got later in the line, I would run across people that would say, oh, yeah, no, I know I'm voting for you. They didn't even need to hear my speech, and I didn't really understand what was going on <laughs> until afterwards when I knew that he had done that tweet. So Let's talk about the Jimmy Gomez slate for a second, because um, interestingly, I, would, I see Jimmy as more of an establishment type, and if we're going to pick size more of a Clintonite than a Bernie crat, but at that, uh, at the same time, our revolution came out and endorsed him in this last uh, special election we had. So I'm curious to know, was his slate mainly comprised of proxies for other side, or were was there lap over? Like, what what did his slate look like? You know, I actually didn't recognize a lot of people on it. They, the only person I recognized who I basically included in my little group was Yolanda Nagara. Um, she's um, She's the one that actually opened up her office on 50th Avenue 50 um, in York. Uh, she opened up her office and let it be the, you know, CD34 Bernie Sanders office. It's a small office, but we ran out of it. So I knew her, you know, 
she right. was totally behind Bernie, but I didn't recognize anyone else on his plate. You know, Jimmy Gomez, you know, he's, he, I, you know, I like the way he votes, but we did have a sit down with him afterwards. What happened in this district, just a little rundown, is that our congressman for like 20 years, Xavier Becerra, uh, became the attorney general for the state of California. That happened almost a year ago. So because of that, it opened up a congressional seat. So Jimmy Gomez, who is our assemblyman, then ran to be our congressman against, there was like 13 candidates, but he was, you know, the one that every, you know, kind of everyone thought he was going to win and he did. And then our assembly seat opened up because he was, he moved up. And then we had like 13 candidates running uh, for the assembly seat. So, right. But when he was running for congressman, all four, well, actually 13 of the 14 ADEMs sat down with him and Ron Birnbaum being one of them um, who uh, recently ran for assembly. But anyway, we all sat down with him and we sort of, you know, kind of asked him a lot of questions. I mean, in general, he's a progressive guy, but, you know, it's kind of where he's getting his money from. And that is sort of the sticking point. You know, you're a Bernie you're a burnocrat and it's like money out of politics. And, um, you know, he's, he's got money coming from private prisons. <laughs> you know, you can look this stuff on, on stuff up online. Um, right. And, but, but he was more like, well, you know, I might take some money from, you know, labor unions. Um, but, you know, I don't really think I take money from anyone else and he's wrong, but, and that's its own thing, you know, but it's sort of where he's, for me, uh, it's where he's getting his money plum that is a little concerning. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, and you, we can look at the example of Kamala Harris, uh, who is becoming quickly a progressive darling. I'm glad that she went on, but I don't believe that for a second. It's her job to know what's going on in her office. Um, And I find this troubling because this is a situation in which uh, private prisons are mainly profiting off of what what is slave labor, in my opinion. This incentivizes longer uh, prison terms. And uh, she was arguing when the judge wanted to release um, some of the minor offenses. We're talking about non-felony, non-violent offenses. She argued that they couldn't do it because of their contracts, their involuntary servitude contracts would screw them up. And I just think that's such a, a morally bankrupt argument. So I think it's a good concern to have. I don't think any um, – it doesn't jive with our platform as, as the Democratic Party, and I, I think we need to really look at where that money is coming from. We also have a uh, Unity and Reform Commission appointee from Clinton that has lobbied for GEO prison groups. So clearly this is something that's been going on at all levels with uh, this industry, and we need to expose it and, and stomp it out, in my opinion. Um, who's on the, so I'm you, sorry, who's on the Unity Commission that uh, lobbied for that? Oh, right. Okay, good to yeah. know. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So you were, um, I'm, let me mention to the audience that Janine and I met um, canvassing for Bernie Sanders here in District 34, uh, and I know that you eventually went on to attend the convention, and um, you were a Bernie super volunteer. I know you've got some great stories about traveling out of the state and doing canvassing in Iowa and Arizona. Um, please uh, share some of those stories, because they're great. <laughs> Well, yeah, okay, so we can start at the beginning, which was I heard Bernie at the um, uh, sports arena here, like uh, late summer uh, 2015, and yeah, I went, you know, I went crazy for him, 
And um, then in, I, I really believe that, I'm for, originally from the Midwest, from Chicago, outside of Chicago. And um, I moved here in 89. And so I really felt like if he could, <clears throat> you know, do well in Iowa, you know, it would be great. So I, I flew out there and I got a rent a car. I took a friend of mine's, um, she had a daughter who was a senior in high school that was crazy about Bernie. So anyway, she's my godchild. I got her in the car and we did a drive to Iowa City, and which is a huge college to Canvas before. So um, the thing about Iowa is they're pretty tuned to canvassing, like the things that work and don't work. We did about a day in Iowa City, and a lot of the students there were already canvassing for him. So on the second day, I went into the office and I said, you know, listen, I don't, I have a car, I can go wherever, you know, send me somewhere, send me to an area like two hours away that you think really needs some canvassing or whatever, like use me a little bit. It's an Amish town. And um, so I plopped down there for the whole day and started um, canvassing. And actually, the way those towns are is, you know, you've got one Amish house with the carriage and the driveway, and then you've got a couple of houses, and then you have another Amish, you know, uh, thing and uh, another Amish house. And so they were people that were going to be voting for him, and it was great to see that. And, you know, I had kids coming home from school like eight-year-olds or whatever and they would see me and they're like oh is today the day of the caucus what goes on and (laughs) yeah yeah no they recognize that they're they're kind of raised to be aware and 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 participate so um and you know I got into some really great dialogues with people or also learned some tricks that ended up later as I became canvassing captain here and this just on whatever you're leaving on the door or um, making sure that they know it's tonight or you know, markers, circling the date with an arrow and all this kind of stuff, because I could see what other people were like, I would walk up to a door and there would already have been a Clinton person there. So I would see how they're doing everything, you know, we decided we needed to drive back the night of the caucus. And we we couldn't go into the caucus anyway. When I was there was a church that was where the caucus was taking place. And they had young people out the door and around the block. And I felt really good driving away. There was a storm coming in, so we needed to start driving. But as I was driving, I was listening to the results. And that's when all the results came in, that there was a coin toss and all this kind of stuff. And all the, you know, what was it, five out of the six coin tosses went to Clinton. And I remember thinking drove away from was a coin toss. And I don't know how that happened. But then I, you know, grabbed a group of friends with Zona later on in the spring you go to a door and you have on your little cheat sheet where their polling place is. And it seemed like everybody was like, no, 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 I know where my polling place is. Like, you don't need to give me that. Yeah, it's down the street, blah, blah, blah. And then later to find out what happened in Arizona is they had closed, what, like two thirds of the polling places. So, and they had all those people in line until like midnight or one o'clock in the morning or whatever. And they were bringing pizzas to people because you know, and God bless all those dedicated voters that stayed in line. So it, there was a big backup of voters because mm-hmm. they didn't expect this many people to show up. So where their polling place was, and, and they were wrong. She shut down all those polling places. That's still, to me, when I look at that whole situation that you're talking about, um, that reduces voter participation and stifles and stymies people. No matter who you were supporting, you should have had a right to have your voice heard. And I don't know, that was a very upsetting thing. So I land here, and California's coming up. Um, 
and again, I had, I had some free time and I started phone banking. I knew that they had opened up the office in Nila, which is Northeast LA. And I decided, and it was obvious that I kind of knew a little more of the system. So I went ahead and became a canvassing captain, um, which we ran shifts. At first it was just the weekends from like 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Most likely they've, they've been um, solid voters for the last eight years or whatever. So you just go to their doors. And you try to talk to them and you leave paraphernalia. I mean, I could go into a little bit of frustration that we had with the particular, you know, I had already started to hear that from, you know, on Facebook and, you know, social media that have them not, you know, I mean, the odds are out of the 60 doors they knock on, they may talk to five people. You know, you want them to feel a little bit better. You want them to put stuff on the door so that somebody starts to see Bernie home from work or whatever. Exactly. So we were really exactly. frustrated, but we wanted to go online. That's something I loved about his campaign is you could – he had a toolkit where you could print up your own stuff, black and white, cut it in half. You know, for not a lot of money, you could print your own materials, and I think that's where this grassroots thing really started up. Yeah. And, you know, being able to do it yourself. You know, you didn't have to wait for somebody to give you something. So right. anyway, I would have, and, you know, we were very, there was a lot of passionate canvassers there. I had this 80-year-old com- couple that would um, show up on Saturdays, and they would do one precinct together. It was actually really lovely. They become very <laughs> close friends of mine. Yeah, we met some you great know. people in that office. I, you and I met yeah. that way, canvassing. I had one day a kid um, who was 16 years old in high school, and even what? though he wasn't allowed to vote yet, he wanted to go canvassing. And so I remember, um, I want to send him out alone. Can you come and uh, maybe... <clears throat> take him out and teach him some stuff on how this works and all this kind of stuff. So I actually spent the day with this kid um, and then a few hours the next day as well. And it was such a great experience because I loved seeing his enthusiasm, uh, his thirst for knowledge, and he was very excited discussing. We went around the Occidental College area and he was very excited talking to all the college students there. And I think it was a really good experience all around. That was Nathan, wanted, by the way. That was Nathan. Oh, you remember? God, you were so good with your name remembering. Well, his, I'm mom, his mom came in and was a little kind of like, what are you guys doing sending out my kid? Like, just because he stopped in your office. And we're like, okay, you know, like, sorry, you know. Um, but oh, really? I didn't know that around. part. Well, he would come around again, and then maybe he wouldn't go out door to door, but he would start cutting things up for us or whatever, you know. Um, and, yeah, Deanna, I wanted to mention Deanna and Howard Roth, the, the older couple that were just right. rock stars. Yeah, a bunch of rock stars. That's um, why our district did go to Bernie, I mean, in the long run. I know provisional ballots for days. In fact, you know, let's talk about that for a second, because we're currently facing a situation that I think is contributing to um, more provisional ballots in the state of California. Let's talk about uh, ballot harvesting, vote by mail, and AB 840s. So what, what ended up happening is that on the, on the day of the, I'm just going to give you a little backstory because yeah, no, some, please I've, do. I've gone, well, I've gone, what, what, what happened Board of Supervisors and when, um, because when our election, I actually, we found out very quickly that their people were having problems at the polling places because it was so confusing with no party preference. You had to ask for a quote crossover ballot. And so if you didn't ask for it, they wouldn't tell you. So we had it at the last minute, we realized that we had to communicate to everybody that were NPP voters 
no party preference, that they needed to ask for this ballot. So I took, normally you would have the get out the vote, uh, you know, the last 48 hours of people, uh, your canvassers going to people's doors. But what I did is I switched it very quickly and had them all go to the polling places and make sure that our NPP voters knew to ask for a crossover ballot. And that also, if that they were uh, mail-in, that they, they brought their mail-in ballot in. Otherwise, or provisional ballot. And the reason that's important is pro provisional ballots are counted later. Um, they get separated out because they're sort of, they have to be reviewed more, so to speak. So you don't, you want to get as many regular ballots in as possible right off the bat. So um, anyway, uh, so I had all these um, canvassers go to the polling places and there were so many problems, at least in our district, all over L.A., because that following week at the Board of Chiefs in L.A. County with everything from, you know, they would show up there. They've been a Democrat for 30 years, and they were reg they'd show up, and their registration said that they were a Republican. You know, Janine, let's yeah. talk about that for a second, because I uh, did go do some poll watching that day. And my polling location, after I voted, uh, there were a couple of folks in line that had their mailed-in voter thing with their name, the whole nine yards, but they weren't on the, I got back to the volunteer office and we called, I think you weren't there at this particular moment, you were out. We did call the Secretary of State's office um, and the response was they had not, and this is, this is all factual, actually happened, the response was that they had forgotten to um, send the new voter registers that mo morning. So these were brand new people that had been registered in the last um, year and hadn't voted yet, et cetera. So and they said that they were sending them out at that time. But now we're now, what, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So you had a slew of people that had come in to vote, and they, they weren't there on the list because the lists weren't there. I mean, and I think there was a, just a bunch of situations like this, and it makes you wonder what's going on in our Secretary of State's office. Well, I mean, you could kind of go to, I mean, a conspiracy uh, point of view, which is, <laughs> well, no, there's, well, one is, I mean, and, and I can get to this, too, you know, it's just the idea that, um, you know, these primaries are not very welcoming, you know, independent voters, and we can get to that. But, but the other part of this is, so when you can, but you've got an app on your phone, I forgot what it is, there's a couple of different kinds, PDI, it's or van. yeah, it's van, van, right, yeah. so okay. van, we got a signal um, in the final weeks of canvassing to be very careful of using van because for some reason there's a van that is set up for Bernie and there's a van uh, software. It's like there's a division, you know, so like when you, each of the campaigns um, have access to the same information, but when you, so you walk up, it's almost like maps on your Google Maps or whatever, you know, you, you punch in your precinct and it shows you all the doors that you're supposed to knock on. And when you do knock on the door, you, you hit the little house on the map and you put in your software, whether it's a, uh, a Bernie's, a strong Bernie supporter, um, leaning Bernie, uh, undecided, leaning strong Clinton. So as you walk away from the door, you're actually creating a record of who of the voters are pro-Bernie. And I wish I had all this information, but that software, um, it ended up that the person who designed that software is very strong Clinton supporter. So here we are using the software to, to track all the strong Bernie supporters so we can go back and knock on their door the day of, make sure they don't forget and they know their polling places. We're creating a record. So you got to, you know, you got to take into account that this software could have been accessed by the Clinton campaign.
And it's so easy to change somebody's registration online. You know, all you need is their address and their social security number. And so, you know, Hmm. somebody could go in and mess with somebody's registration and and it it wouldn't be a big big deal. So, you know, anyway, we we testified then um, about what went on in the polling places. And actually, there's a couple of uh, little documentaries that are out from all the poll workers (laughs) saying how crazy it was, like their supervisors didn't show up the day of. And all of a sudden, they became a supervisor out of nowhere and boxes that didn't work. And so then we... uh, Lauren Steiner and uh, some other people, Holly Mosher, who's a friend of mine, she's a documentary filmmaker, they did this Ballots for Bernie. So this was people signing up to take shifts over at the registrar as all the votes were getting counted. And just the vote by mail here is about one-third of our registered voters are registered as vote-by-mail people. So the vote-by-mail started to come in. And, you know, all of a sudden she got out and she declared she was the winner before even the regular, all the regular votes got on national TV. And right. they cover it. You know what I mean? Right. They, I was only because, um, not only because, but mainly because in California, a lot of people go vote after work. And that is when the majority of, of vote, voting happens in the state. And they did this at like 5 o'clock, 4 o'clock here in California. So people hadn't even gone off work yet. And they ha- certainly hadn't gone to the polls to vote. And I am positive that this affected our voter turnout after that point. Why go and vote if they've already declared a winner would be the rationale with a lot of folks. And I'm pretty sure that that was a manipulation also done on purpose. And it was very disappointing for me. And I remember thinking in that moment, we were in the District 34 office just being so upset. Um, there was a bar next door, so our audience will laugh at this. I remember going into the bar next door, o- ordering a friend, Jen, who had been canvassing with me that day, and saying, we're looking at a President Trump. Um, because I knew that yeah. she was not going to win this general election. And, and I was just, uh, so I got my upset crying out that night. <laughs> Stay in the bar. I had one go. I, they right. had her, they, they, they put Clinton up and yeah. started to do, and I got so upset. I grabbed my guy and we went home. Right. I just couldn't because so all my canvassers were there. And I, right. just, I didn't want to get there. so upset in front of them. You know what I mean? Dan Gordon so. was there. Yeah, we were all there in the, I think I kissed yeah. the TV when Bernie came on. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, yeah, you that was a tough night. The, well, and then you get back to the registrar and you watch this, how the right. votes are treated. You know, you run into why they're throwing stuff out someone comparing signal votes, right. you know what I mean? Right. And so I was yeah. going to tell you, absolutely, my mom was giving, my mother, for my 84-year-old mother, who um, also loved Bernie, was given home from voting, and she called me, and she said, why was I given a pink provisional ballot? And I said, you're, you're kidding, Mom. Have you ever been given one in the past? And she said, no, this is the first time. She still doesn't know why, but she finally got something in the mail, and it told her she had to go down to this voting place um, where were they doing that at? You had to go to your signature, otherwise your vote, your ballot. Four-year-old mom Down in Norwalk. Get in her, right. Get in her car and drive out 60 miles to do this? It's not going to happen. And I wonder how many people have that happen to them. I know my niece was also given a provisional ballot. My, you know, she was a first-time voter. She was given a provisional ballot. And it had something to do with this vote by mail. She never registered to be a vote by mail. Are not are not idiots. They know no. that. And that's one of the reasons we need open primaries. I know you were talking to um, I agree. Zogby about this. You know, the, the idea, 
you know, they think that closed primaries are important because they want to keep their candidate to be kind of a pure democratic uh, selection. Mm-hmm. The problem mm-hmm. is then that that person may not appear appeal to independents. So if Correct. you don't get the independents voting on the primary, you're going to come up with a candidate that they don't want to vote for in the general. And Correct. that's exactly what happened. And I you agree. Know, we, we have yeah. a less electable so, general candidate because 45% of the country is registered NPP or independent. We are a very small, the, the Democratic registered base is a, is a shrinking amount of people. And if we don't appeal to the disenfranchised leftist coalition build with the DSA, with the Green Party, these, these folks should be our natural allies in winning an elections. And we, when we cut them out of the process, we're handing more and more seats to the GOP. This is, this is irrefutably true, in my opinion. Yeah. One one uh, other piece that I want to get out about um, mm-hmm. what gets thrown out or you right. know, what gets scrutinized, uh, scrutinized later. If you go in to a polling place and it says vote by mail, like you're you. Well, first of all, the other thing that you said is their their uh, roles were not up to date. All the people. They did not print out new things for the polling places that included the newly registered people in the last right. month. So anybody right. who was okay. newly registered wasn't on the rolls when they showed up. Okay. So that, and, and was that on purpose? You know, I don't know. I can go there. Um, I can go there too, frankly. I can go there. <laughs> and yeah, so, but then um, uh, if you, so you show up, you don't know your vote by mail. There was, there was like a whole year that you were automatically, when you went in online to register, it already had the, it automatically checked the box that you were vote by mail. So if you weren't paying attention, you became vote by mail without even knowing it. So Okay, that's so the what is, the reference was. Okay. In, yeah. So when you go in to vote, you don't know that if you got it in the mail, you may not realize that that's the way that you have to vote, right? You could have thought like, oh, this is just a right. guide. This is what my ballot's going to look like. Oh, okay, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm going to go vote on the day. So you go in, and they say, oh, sorry, you're on the thing for vote by mail. The thing is, if you get a provisional vote or a ballot and you vote, that provisional ballot is thrown out. If you right. never got a vote by mail, like you go in and they just happen to have you down as vote by mail and you never got anything in the mail, it means that that ballot could have um, yeah, I agree. And, you know, yeah. And this vote by mail, we've got uh, a, a third of our registered voters are voted are uh, registered as vote by mail. And so now we get to ballot harvesting because the other thing right. that happens is Let's one of the things that. I told them, well, I mean, you know, any candidate now needs to uh, realize that they need to hit up the uh, retirement communities, the retirement right. homes, all these people that you know are not going to go in and vote and get that early vote in from them. You know what I mean? I think that, mm-hmm. you know, I think uh, Mike, Mike Wong, um, who was the guy that was running in 34 in uh, vote by mail is, um, is key. So, uh, well, but it's also a vehicle for now. corruption. I think yeah. there's a, what do they call that, granny balloting or something? There's a word for what you're talking about, where you have these folks that are really not clear on what is happening, and these guys are harvesting their ballots, and they're dropping them off at, at you know, whatever the polling location is. Uh, it is absolutely a hole for corruption, and it really bothers me that it's one, you know, they've used this as an argument in the past to say when the GOPs tried to outlaw this. I know there was a case in Arizona that it's a form of 
voter suppression. That was the DNC argument or the Democratic Party argument. But now we have to be really clear on the fact that it's being used to thwart the will of progressives uh, versus establishment uh, liberals. They're right. using the same talk about speaking of. Let's talk about AB 840 because I think this is a very bad piece of legislation. I know it's passed through the assembly, um, could make it to Jerry Brown's desk, and it's a very uh, it's a bad idea. So basically what this, this bill has an amendment that's been added that will um, – we have this uh, – audit that we do, the audit law, and it's a really important part of our election integrity here in the state of California, and this bill will chat. They will change what's counted in the 1% audit. Um, can you discuss that a little bit? Um, I should be more up to speed on that, but I am more thinking about that vote-by-mail thing, this ballot harvesting, which is 1729, like a year ago, um, just really applied to the recent, I mean, it was just this week. On Tuesday, we had, so our primary right. uh, whittled down to two candidates last Tuesday for our assembly. It was uh, Wendy Carrillo and um, Luis Lopez. And right. um, at very late in the campaign, it was, uh, well, there was a lot of, it was a pretty bitter, uh, kind of went bitter. negative on both sides a lot towards yep. the end. But anyway, um, Wendy Carrillo's um, campaign was taking advantage of um, AB. I think it's 1729, um, where ballot harvesting, which, which, you know, it was, you could always have somebody in your family, but uh, that changed like a year ago with this, um, with this, with AB uh, 1729, where you, anybody, any third party can take your ballot and and vote and mail it on your behalf. And, and the problem that Lopez's campaign had with Carrillo's is they were actively collecting, the canvassers were actively collecting. Now, it wasn't done under her campaign money. It was sort of like this third party who had donated money to her. They set up their own canvassers well, to do it. We so all know who this to be is. considered a third party. That? We all know who do the you? third party was. Yes, yeah, well, Yeah. Right. I'm going to so, call it out um, because the union yeah. leadership was very corrupt in this election. I am pro-union. I am a union member. I want unions to flourish and expand. But I do have a problem with corrupt last two elections. We saw it in the primary as well. Right. Well, they were able to, I don't know whether it was specifically SEIU, but some entity that was instead of, I mean, they probably donated to her campaign as well, but they set up this this third-party entity doing canvassing that goes on, too. They show yes, up. Absolutely. They say that there was a Lopez campaign, get your vote, and then never ballot, and Change then it. never mail it, you know? Yeah. Right. They dump Correct. it in the garbage, you know? So, so now there's a hyper-awareness of it. And as those results came in on Tuesday night, so I actually, I, I, I've observed the vote, uh, you know, all the way through to going to the registrar, getting it counted that night, how the machines that they use, the protocols and all that, and then they do the 1%. But on Tuesday night, if you were to watch the results coming in, mm-hmm. immediately they, they always post that one-third vote by mail right off the bat. Like, you know, as soon as the polls close, 8 o'clock, they go ahead and post it, boom. Right. Wendy's ahead by 1,000 votes. And mm-hmm. if you look now, you know, they, then all the precincts started coming in. And that $1,000 um, vote margin pretty much stayed there the entire time. And I think out of the 20,000 20, voters that we had here, like, it was, it, there was only a 1,500 spread. But say that those 
vote by mail, that, that gain she got in vote by mail was because of ballot harvesting, then there it is. That's, you know, that's the issue is that she, that's how much she almost, she won by a little more than that, but it's enough where low, you know, we it's need odd. to, yeah, yeah. It could have been it's the odd. difference. I, yeah. So you actually, um, I'm pretty sure I wanted, um, you, you witnessed this 1% audit thing happen. Whole, oh, I, I thought you did everything go through the okay. registrar. Yeah, no, I watched everything go through the registrar for Bernie last year. And then I also went there for the primary in October to watch that night, to watch the tally come in from the 13 candidates, because I was a, um, a supporter of Ron Birnbaum, and I wanted um, somebody to be there and, and just right. make sure it was good. And that's, that's its own story, because before any of the precincts started to come in, there was like a white van that showed up. And supposedly, <laughs> I mean, we asked about that, but that vote fight, like, why is a white van coming and unloading a bunch of, if you know the, if you know how everything works, those, your ballots get escorted by um, troll. Right. to the registrar from your, not from your precinct, they do a collection area. So it goes from your precinct or it's from your polling place to this collection area. We had like about six in all of right. uh, 51. And then the, the police are standing by there. They put the ballots in the car and it, get, it gets whisked away to the registrar. So there's no reason a white van <laughs> should show up before any of the police show up. <laughs> And have them unload a bunch of stuff. Now, maybe that's vote by mail, but it's like, okay, who guarded that? And where's the police yeah. around that one, you know? So, yeah, anyway, you know, um, I'm a big fan of paper ballots, period. I just think it, it just alleviates the monkey business or even the optics of the monkey business. And the optics, if they're bad, are bad, and that is also a detrimental thing. So they do this 1% auditing just to, you know, make sure that everything's on the up and up. So currently what we do is we, we 1% all of the ballots, the, med, the uh, right. ones cast at the polling places, the vote by mail, all of them, uh, and provisionals as well. So this new law, this AB 840, will change that. This is what bothers me about this. They are going to eliminate from this 1% any late arriving mail ballots, and also they will 100% not include provisional ballots. So now we have a distortion right. in our audit. Yeah. And yeah. I don't understand. And why? What's their reasoning? Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. That it, is, that is it, exactly it. Why are they doing this? this? This really is destructive to our election integrity, even on the optical level. There's absolutely no reason to do this. There's no benefit. So I want to know yeah. why they're doing this. And this I don't is not, know. Let me well, be clear. This I mean, I can not, guess. Is, I can guess, too. Right. We can all guess. But this amendment was added after it passed through the assembly. So somewhere along the line, this is an added amendment. I don't know that Governor Brown will sign this into law. I hope that he does not. I think it's very bad news. But I want to know why it was added, because um, I just don't understand why, why they would do this. We already, we already have a clear optic problem on our hands, given the last primary, because there were so many things that were going on that were very bad. I mean, the provisional ballots ended up totaling how many? It was over a, a million, was it not? Do you remember? Um, well, I could look it up. Um, yeah, it was, we can, <laughs> it was a lot. I it mean, you've got to give it, it, it was like a third. It's a third of our vote. Yeah. Why wouldn't they? Yeah. So the thing is, the only reason I can think of is if you go to that reason of people, if one gets turned in, I don't know whether I'm being clear on this, right? No, you're being I mean, very clear. You were, I, I, yeah. 
So I, I don't right. know. They're getting, they want, they want to just not audit a third of the vote that they have a lot more control over than the other parts. Like, it's really lopsided. They really do could, they could have a lot more control over the vote by mail than the, um, the, well, I think the they regular ballot. Do. I think that's the problem yeah. right there. If you're going door to door canvassing and you're taking people's vote by mail ballots and voting for them, You've already opened the door to monkey business. You're right. The minute that person leaves, they could say, yes, I am with Wendy's campaign. I'm going to take this for you and drop it off. Or you're right. On the flip side, they could be working for the other guy and change your vote for state. We would uh, endorse this sort of thing. It's very bad. We need to stop it now. We need to overturn this bill. We need to make sure AB 840 doesn't pass or get signed or gets vetoed by Governor Brown because this is not this isn't good for the integrity of our system. And I want to bring up that all of this stuff has been going on under Alex Padilla as our Secretary of State. I um, had the fortune of knowing Deborah Bowen when she was our Secretary of State, and I'm pretty sure that she would not be okay with any of this stuff. So let's talk yeah, about Yeah, she's kind Alex. of staying quiet, though, right? Um, I think she's... she actually has said something now on 840. I could be wrong. I read something in passing the other day. Um, but I, uh, they have their quarterly e board. They have a one a year, uh, once a year convention, and uh, where you know last the last convention we we were trying to um, well uh, a lot of us supported Kimberly Ellis, but but then they have these uh, for the head of the state, the uh, Democratic Party. Um, mm -hmm. So they have that that they have that sort of thing once a year, but then they also have these executive board on a quarterly um, on a quarterly schedule. So there was one up in uh, Northern California, and yeah, there is a lot of progressives that would love to have someone else in the in the office. They feel like this. There's, I, I don't know. Do you know about Karen Bernal's um, autopsy report? Um, she, no, she did. Yeah. So Karen Bernal's the head of what happened. You've got Hillary Clinton. What happened? You know, it's like well. No, this is this is really assessing what happened. You know the, um, you know everything from the you know uninspiring message and mm -hmm. um, and just kind of missing the the younger voters, the the people right. of color. You know that all of their missed marks. You know, and mm -hmm. let's get it right because you know if, unless we kind of go there and and are strategic in what at what went wrong we're not going to be able to change it. And uh, autopsy report, we could use it as, you know, uh, a gauge on, on some, of, some of the candidates that are going to be the front runner against him. And mm -hmm. then there's somebody from the Green Party, Michael, um, there's two people from the Green Party. Um, should have really had this up already. I won't look at it while I'm on. But somebody from the Green Party, um, who doesn't really even have a website up, you know what I mean? And that, that's mm -hmm. an issue I've got, too. You know, the Green Party's got to, you know, if they want to be taken seriously, they've got to, you know, be at that level where they're competitive, you know? Right. Uh, so anyway, the Ruben Major is, he, uh, boy, I'm really floundering here. Um, that's right. You, yeah, you, you can, can cut that stuff take out. a breath and <laughs> yeah. start over if you want. Um, um, well, I'm trying to think primaries, taking a look at the polling places. He's already toured all the regi um, registrars in the state. So he's also concerned open source software is, uh, is sort of this concept that I can't believe that Alex Padilla is not talking about. 
and it has to do Microsoft, right? And we have the public, right, or our mm-hmm. government. Can't get in there and watch that it's working properly in the moment. The only time that they could actually get in there and check and see what the software did is after right. the election, the Secretary of State could get permission to go ahead and access the software. This mm-hmm. whole idea of open source allow, would allow it to be a more um, accessible process. Um, you know, Ruben Major talks about uh, G, um, GPS, gen, uh, no, GPL, uh, General Public Licensing, which means that we own the license to it. We as the public own the license to it. We can do same-time auditing well and being able to even do healing place before it gets shipped off and goes through a machine. Why, why couldn't you do that? I mean, we had, you know, each of our precincts, each of our polling places had less than 100 in this particular election, had less than 100 people, you know. I mean, granted, a general election would have more people, but more uh, ballots. But, you know, there's no reason why that couldn't be done there. You know what I mean? Have, have a police right. officer there or whatever, make sure things don't get out of hand. But do one count that's there, that is, uh, that is a, a paper count, a, a hand count. So that's one thing he's talking about. You know, they're using this idea of like, oh, well, we want voters, we want it to be more convenient for voters, you know. So we're going right. to go ahead and do these, not only do, so we have these machines that would be accessible, um, you know, they're talking not in a post office or anything, and it would be open for like two weeks of voting. And it's like, okay, you know, that for me is scary. They're, they're, they're coloring it like, okay, we're going to try to get more people to vote this way. But to me, there's a, a great vulnerability into, in putting that, something that takes place that long, for that mm-hmm. long of a period of time. It was, uh, I'm forgetting the name of the bill that uh, he, he was trying to get through. He was trying to get another $50 million, or five, $50 million or $500 million, $500 million to a new software that would still be a proprietary-run software that we wouldn't have access to. And it's because the Democratic Party has a very cozy relationship with Microsoft. So they, they want to continue this idea that we don't, you know, this proprietary software that we can't access. So right. the idea that we can start talking about open source GPL is very important. And that's one of the reasons I'm supporting Ruben. I mean, that, right. and he, you know, he knows what's going on with the polling places and the, and the you know, the NPP ballots, mm-hmm. the provisional ballots, and what goes on at the registrar. And, um, right. And, you know, he's talking about, like, if your registration gets changed online or anybody changes your registration, you get an immediate notification. You know, it right. doesn't take two weeks because now you get a notification, but it could take two weeks to come in the mail. The election's over. Well, I think yeah, that's a, the step in the right direction. And, you know, to, to Deborah Bowen's credit, I, back in 2006, she saw the problem with this. And she, I, I, people probably forgot that she did this. But she went through and had a whole entire uh, survey done of our election system and the intre- integrity. And she came out saying there's problems. And she, one of the big problems she had was with the touchscreen machines. Do you remember that we had these at that time? 
because yeah. of the things that she enacted, most of them are gone. I don't, I don't know that anybody used them at all, but she effectively was able to change some of the course of that. And I know during her tenure and also even currently, there's been multiple bills trying to get, trying to get pushed through that would allow for Internet voting, which, which is crazy to me. Now you're going to have another level of yeah. um, no. <laughs> voter yeah. integrity no. issues. I think, you know, I'm all for technology except for the fact that we have no real way of checking it. And when it comes to voting, it's a sacred thing, and we need to protect that. And if that means staying in the dark ages with paper ballots, I'm absolutely all, all for it. And, you know, when Deborah went through and did these things, there was a, you probably forgot, but there was quite a, a smear campaign put against her for trying to say these things. You know, the moneyed interest didn't want it. They tried to shut her down, but she persevered, which is why I'm thinking she, was, she would probably not be on board with this 840. I think she would see it as a problem. Let's talk a little bit on that note about the DNC reform. We've been watching this process throughout the year, and one of the big uh, issues that has been discussed is caucuses. You know, I've, I've heard both sides of the arguments. I do think monkey, monkey business like you were describing in Iowa uh, can happen in a caucus. There's no two ways about that. But I also know that there's some good sides and that they're very effective uh, when it comes to things like picking delegates. I've participated in caucuses. You obviously have. Um, in your opinion, though, what do we do with caucuses? Do we exclude them from the primary process and use them only for these other things? Or do you think they have a place in um, the primary? Well, one of the things I've noticed about caucuses is that the only, the only people that are comfortable in caucuses are people that can, are used to being able to voice their opinion. Because a lot of the right. caucus, when, I mean, it's one thing when we vote as delegates, there's not really a lot of discussion. But when you talk about a caucus in an election situation, in a primary situation, with uh, voters, it's trying to convince these people to come to your side or whatever, and they're trying right. to convince you to come to their side. You know, if people aren't prepared for that, they probably won't participate that much. That's why, like, Iowa, those, those people, they'll talk. They'll, I stood at doors for, like, a half hour and talked to people. Mm -hmm. They're used to it. But, you know, if you take people that aren't that used to it and put them in that, you know, I, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Um, Right. I don't think like the state of California should. I I want open primaries. I think that's the I want most important primaries. thing. Yes. I yeah I agree with that. I think open primaries would solve a lot of our problems. I you know I've gone back and forth on the issue of caucuses because I do I do think they're democratic and they do allow people to voice their opinion in the way you're um, speaking to. But on the flip side, you also have situations where people were shut out of the caucuses, left outside, or resorted to coin flips, which is clearly a problem. So maybe there's some sort of in-between space where we re reform some of these things if we're not going to get rid of them. I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see what comes out of the DNC um, Reform and Unity Commission from this, but that has been one of the things that they were discussing. If they don't come back with open primaries and getting rid of superdelegates, which I think are the two big items, what will the outcome be? Well, it's kind of like this Dem enters situation versus Dem exit. You know, we had a lot of Democrats oh, agree. that left the party. You know what I mean? But, like, we've got to yes. get them back in because they're not going to be right. able to vote on the primaries anymore. People are fed up and frustrated with the party and all that. And then you've got people that are diehards or they're, they can't believe that we're putting up a fuss. And, 
knock it off and where's your unity and all that kind of stuff, you know, and we're trying to change the parties. Our analogy is trying to, we're jumping on the bus and we're trying to help drive the bus, you know, as opposed to, you know, building a bus from scratch and trying Mm -hmm. to catch up. If you were to have a third party trying to get one set up, and running at the same speed. But I, I think the Unity Commission came up with some, some good things over the last two days, which in the super delegates was a, was a big deal too. We'll have to see if the Rules Committee goes ahead and like approves all that. Nomiki uh, had a great speech just even about the financing. Um, right. And, and, and you know, the, the fact that the, the money that the DNC had uh, I think it was like 90% of it went to five media co- or five consultants. And it's just like, instead <laughs> yeah. of going to state races, there's a lot of yeah, situations no. now where we, you know, we have problem. a Democrat on Democrat and they're not going to put any money behind the one that they think is going to win or right. the one they want to win. They're going to put money uh, towards the we money. Have to be really careful. Yeah, yeah. We have to be careful on who they're putting money behind, but make sure that they're doing it because we have to start winning in this state. So, I mean, I went to the finance, a finance meeting for the state of California and they were talking, I'm trying to get on the finance committee. I was one of those people that uh, I feel it's because I was a Kimberly Ellis supporter. I didn't get assigned to the finance committee, which Mm -hmm. they were supposed to be very inclusive here uh, with both sides of the race. But anyway, but listening in, it's kind of like you're listening to them try to figure out how to raise money. Because the Democratic Party, I believe, they're broke right now. They're not getting any donations. No, they have to get their not. donations from, you they're know. They're not going uh, to as long as they the support labor. corporations over people. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, political action committee. Like, I belong to right. a labor union as well. And when I pay my dues, I check the box whether I want an additional 10% to go towards mm-hmm. political action committee. But the problem mm-hmm. is that I don't check the box because my labor union is working against net neutrality. I already know that. So right. SEIU, which had a huge say in our assembly run recently, they, they, yep. they threw $300,000 to Wendy Carrillo three days before the primary um, mm-hmm. election here in this district. And they're against yep. SB 562, which is the Medicare for All bill right now. Right. And so they, they right. are working against it. And so labor in our party is a huge, I think, right now the parties, they want it because I probably the money, they're trying to strengthen the unions, and I get that. You know, our union, I think it went from being 25% of the workforce down to 7% now, so I understand that. But the, our labor is working against our best interests. Yeah, labor unions, That's exactly it. They, I, I deal with them in my work. You know, I, I, I start a show, I negotiate with unions, we set up a deal, and we go ahead and do a project, right? They're, right. And, and I just know this, they're, they are always just thinking about their members. Well, you know, those, the members all, all have health care already. Too much of an influence in there. You're not getting, the unions are not thinking about all those people without health care. They're only thinking, and so they're not that driven. They don't think it's urgent. I mean, there's a hearing tomorrow. It's, you know, but it downtown. is urgent. Let me be yeah. honest with you. Our union health care isn't all that. I would prefer to have Medicare for all. So when our unions do that, our entertainment unions do that, it infuriates me. I want Medicare for all. I don't want my union health plan. It's managed by Anthem Blue Cross. So, you know, I understand that that's the argument that they are making. 
but they're wrong. And to me, I can be pro-union, and I, I've you know, been a union member my whole life, and I support their growth, and I want it to be from 7 to 20%. But we're not going to get to 20% if this is what we're doing. We're, we're shooting well, ourselves the in the foot. The elephant in the room about SEIU is that they're tied into Kaiser. So they know if right. Medicare for All comes in, and exactly. uh, they're going to run into trouble with Kaiser, and they right. might lose some jobs. And I get that. I mean, I kind of get that. I get, but but get in there. I mean, the, the way that SB 562 is set up is that there's a panel. You know, everybody, you know, the, there's criticism that it doesn't uh, flush out how it's going to get paid for. Well, it, it says in there that there's going to be a panel that the government, governor sets of doctors, of um, labor, of, uh, you know, all these different people and, and the assembly, the uh, speaker of the assembly and the uh, Senator Pro Temp can, mm-hmm. can put people in this panel as well. And they figure it out. So it, yeah. there's no reason. They will have a say later on exactly. how this all comes together. It's a vote for them, and it didn't pass this summer, right? Or well, it didn't even come up for a vote, and that's why Rendon, there's a recall Rendon effort, and Maria right. Estrada is running against him, um, the, our Speaker of the Assembly. But there, there's no reason why we can't. Uh, the vote for it is just a vote to figure it out. That's exactly. important enough to figure out right now. And so, and Maria Elena um, uh, Durazo, who's running for Kevin DeLeon's seat, her response when uh, Ron Birnbaum and I went to a house party for her to raise money right. or whatever, she is the only, only candidate running here for De Leon's seat, and that's because mm-hmm. everybody's fed up of going against these, going up against these union candidates. So right. she's out They're there so heavily asked her about SB 562, yeah. and she's against SB 562. And we asked her why, and she's like, "Well, there's a better way to figure it out." And no. they don't. They didn't even come to us and ask us how we we as a union we work out health care for our members all the time it, right. they're not coming to us and so they're like frustrated that they didn't that they didn't get brought to the table but they're not figuring anything out on their own and they would go through the insurance companies one of the reasons it can happen is getting the insurance companies out if you don't get the insurance companies out the the numbers don't work because they're taking such a huge chunk of the profiteering. The, the yeah, money. it's the profiteering. And Kaiser was one of the big, you know, whether you know this or not, Kaiser was the instigator for this, the HMO that allowed these institutions to become for-profit was pushed by Kaiser. And the profiteering in the health insurance industry is just grotesque, which is why it angers me so much when we see union leadership fighting this because it is not in our best interest. And I, and for, as far as I'm concerned, it's a litmus test at this point. I am not going to support any Democrat running that is against Medicare for All. It is really that straightforward and simple. And I am going to be very vocal in my district with the union in regards to this. I got in a, you know, I got in a bit of a Twitter beef with one of the SEIU uh, bosses, and he ended up blocking me because I was calling him out on this. He was... Um, trying to make a really baseless argument in regards to it, and also in regards to the fight for 15. I wanted to know why they supported Hillary Clinton when she wanted a $13 minimum wage instead of Bernie Sanders when he was out there arguing 15 better. This is not in your members' interest. You are literally arguing against things that that are against your interest's better uh, well-being. And this to me is union corruption. And we have it, we have DNC corruption, we have union corruption, 
All of this goes back to the same moneyed interests. And we also have quid pro quo going on with nonprofit organizations in the same way. I mean, you had the NAACP come out against net neutrality as well. Why would you do that? Who does this help? Well, you just go trace it back and see that they're getting money from Verizon. <sighs> we have problems. We have problems with, um, as progressives, we're fighting moneyed interests in areas where we've always traditionally, traditionally felt like we didn't have to fight because these were supposedly people that were fighting for our interests as well. And it's going to be a really hard uphill battle, I think, going forward. So what are your parting words? What are you working on right now? What is your big push as far as uh, making this stuff better? I know you had spoken earlier about being an ADEM delegate, how you guys had caught everybody off guard coming in there with the Bernie group and winning all of these seats. Uh, that's not going to happen again. Obviously, going forward, the establishment is going to fight back because they won't be able to be caught off guard again. So. Uh, what things are you pushing or thinking about or working on to um, help us move forward with our platform? Well, it can be overwhelming. There's just so many things uh, to, to work on. Um, I really, I think with the California fires, I want to kind of press um, some of my union leadership for, to deinvest out of fossil fuels. I think that's... Um, that's kind of a no-brainer now, and I'm kind of. It would be great if everybody could. It's sort of like throw, holding your union leadership suit to the fire. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And make sure because we all did this. You know, yeah. So voting. You know, this voting process. Um, it doesn't. You know, without if you don't have a clean voting process, it doesn't matter if we've got people right. voting. Like we could have a we could have a landslide of uh, progressive voters in California, but if uh, Alex Padilla is like tweaking things and I'm yeah. sorry, but it, it, you know, if he's making it more difficult or whatever it is, that's a less a nicer way of putting it. But so that's a, that's a big deal. I'm behind Ruben Major and, and it starts a lot of really good dialogue. It'd be great if somebody was running against Durazzo only so that we have, you know, even if it's just to start having debates in the area. So yeah. And then as far as being a delegate, again, I don't know, you know, I'll probably try to run as an ADEM. Um, there'll be a lot more competition. Uh, we are learning, though, how to be a delegate without being an ADEM. There, you vote for delegates on your ballot. Um, right. There's some of those state delegates that you vote for, too, and, and county delegates. The more name recognition we can get to, uh, the more likely we're going to be able to get in that way. But what Bernie did was he created a family. I mean, I went to the DNC uh, meeting even in Vegas, right? And I think I saw you there. We've got delegates abroad, right? Um, those guys are yeah. heroes. You know, they, they love are heroes. Bernie or whatever. They only get a fourth yeah. of the vote or whatever. But I think that what, what it's, what's the most important thing is to just, if things get worse or whatever, I mean, we've got Trump, so it's not, you know, it's not pretty even right now. Right. But that we have a network. I, I'm hopeful that we, that's what he did for us. He really did connect us all and he got us all alert and right. um, well, um, and we didn't really touch on this too much. Uh, there's Democratic clubs, which I'm part of Field the Burn Club. I'm part of East Area Progressive Democrats, which is, has been a little frustrating because their title sounds like they're more progressive than I really believe they've been. But Field the Burn uh, got started just this past year by Melissa Michelson. She was the, the whip at, uh, in Philly for Southern California. 
So she started, and she's trying to do factions. So she's trying to do this. She's got an L.A. one. So she wants to do one in the Valley. She wants to grow it because Democratic clubs, for every 20 people, they get a delegate that goes to the okay. county party, right? So it's a That's great a huge thing. way. Right. So if, let's say, you're in whatever, wherever you are, Malibu or something, you know, and you're listening or um, not, this is the state of California. I don't really know how it is in the other states. They vary. Right, right. But you know, so you start a club and you grow to be a hundred people, you've got five delegates. So it's a great way of starting to have a say. And, Mm -hmm. but you got to be careful because, um, they only count, they only count members that, that is the first club that they're joining. So for instance, I joined Seal the Berg, but I don't qualify because I was already a member of East Area Progressive Democrats. I don't mean to complicate the description, but, but, but it is an inroad. So, right. Um, no, it's a great inroad. And, I think that's good advice. Yeah. This is yeah. actually really important news because I guarantee a lot of people don't know this. So these clubs, these Democratic clubs, get delegates, and they get delegates via the number of members they have. So this is an action item that everybody can participate in. Go join some Democratic clubs. Increase our delegate numbers this way. This is one way of changing the landscape to our advantage. I agree with you. Well, I was going to mention, because uh, Jim Zogby talked about this, too, the precinct captain. So one of the things, once I canvassed in my area, um, this is before I was a delegate, I started to realize that, um, you know, people, especially in our district, we had so many elections this year, but but in general, somebody coming up to your door and talking to you about a candidate, who's going to, if you're a neighbor, I I guess the the thing is, get to know your district. You know, you may not be a delegate. Mm -hmm. Um, In the old days, and this is what uh, Zogby talked about, is we used to have precinct captains. We still do. I called the LA County and I asked them who my precinct captain was and they go, oh, well, we really don't have them except for general elections. And so it's sort of, and this is something Kimberly Ellis wanted to bring back. She wanted to bring back the precinct captain. I um, the, the idea that there's somebody managing all of the strong Democrats in your precinct is really important. A precinct has about uh, anywhere from 60 to 100 strong. It's those people that they give you their doors to knock on when you get the printouts and become a canvasser. They tell you who are the strong people in your area. Mm-hmm. When Ron Birnbaum was running in this district, I, <laughs> I went to the other delegates and I said, Take the, me and Jane Demi and said, take the precinct challenge. And the thing was, get a printout of your precinct, go around to those strong Democrats and talk to them about how you live down the street across the, from the school and right. you're a delegate and you're running that way. Like when there is canvassing going on and there is a, a candidate that you really believe in, when you write that little note, right? So now we're back to mm-hmm. Iowa. When you write that little note on a post-it saying, oh, I thought I would let you know about this candidate I really believe in, blah, blah, blah you create a relationship, you know, that's that grassroots. Yolanda Nagara, whose office we used for Bernie, her family has been activists, her dad, her dad owned that building. She Mm -hmm. is very ingrained. She knows about the homeless shelter. She knows council, um, neighborhood councils are really powerful. Neighborhood councils uh, serve to inform your councilmen. So if you right. go to neighborhood council meetings, you start talking about housing issues and, and you know, uh, uh, 
changing a, an area from residential to, you know, being able to build uh, things or whatever, they go to the neighborhood council and the neighborhood council informs the councilman. Now, they may not listen to them. They may be taking money, you know, mm-hmm. to go ahead and give the developers what they want. But, right. but the idea is that those neighborhood council meetings are very, very important. There's one in Eagle Rock. There's a Glassville Park one. There's a Cypress Park one. Right. Every Silver Lake has one. So yeah. you can start to go to these, and you'll start to meet the other people in your area that are are becoming, you know, more aware or have been. Well, like, you know, that's another thing. There's, there's right. some people that have been progressives for a very long time, and they're so thankful. You know, they've been fighting this fight since the 70s right. or whatever. Right. You know, I love True. You know, yeah, and we come walking in and so glad. They're glad to tap, pass the <laughs> torch to us, laugh. you know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> now we we have definitely increased our numbers, and I know that uh, regardless of whether Bernie ran for president again or or not, I don't think it would matter. Our movement would exist and go forward because every these folks that are participated in this process now are so clear on what the problems are, and they're not going to walk away from this. It's just too severe. They're very committed to making change. I think those are really great um, recommendations. And in fact, in the interview the other day that I had with Dr. Zogby, he mentioned that had the landscape been a bit different earlier in the year, had we had more uh, state chairs um, as Bernie people versus uh, establishment people, the recommendations and et cetera, et cetera, would be more easily passed. He's right about that. We have to um, dem enter and build from the bottom up if we want to make real change. I don't see that there's another option. Right. Anyway, is there anything else you wanted to add before we wrap this up? It's been a great interview. I'm so glad to have you on to talk about um, a lot of these local issues because I think that they, that what we're going through here in District 34 really does matter to what happens in the rest of the country, and people can learn lessons from um, our experiences, so to speak. Thanks for being on. Um, We appreciate your insight. I think it's been very informative, and I'm hoping that people listen to this and go out and join clubs. Join clubs, go to council meetings, neighborhood council meetings. Yeah, get to know you. Get to know the people in your neighborhood that are, uh, you know, that are trying to get stuff done. Thanks, Tina. Thanks.